All right, good morning, everyone. Wow, that sounds like a lot of community. That's great. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Why don't you go ahead and find a seat? Hey, my name is Adam. I'm, a, I'm part of the team here at Mosaic. I'm a, the community life pastor. And um, I know it's been said, but I just want to extend you a welcome. If you've been here for years or maybe for a few months or this is your first day, we're really glad that you're here. And I, I really hope that you, you feel at home. And uh, this is exciting. This is our first Sunday of fall. Anyone else? I, pumpkin things and football. Come on. I love fall. I'm excited about it. Hey, uh, we're going to open scripture, but before we do, I, I wanted to give a, uh, an update. Earlier this month, um, we made the decision to hit pause on our North Portland gathering. We had a gathering that happened at 10 o'clock at De La, De La Salle High School, and we hit pause in that gathering and folded that community into the, the 9 and 11 o'clock gatherings that happened here at Mosaic Northeast uh, with the intention of kind of regrouping and re-strengthening and asking the question of what, what God has next for us. And something that we're hoping is, is a product of that is seeing us have an intentional focus on creating environments that we can connect and share life with one another outside of just Sunday experience. This is great. I, I love Sunday, and I hope that we get to do this for a long time. Uh, but we also know that, that we're wired to connect and we're wired to share life, and, and we want to create some opportunities where we can do that um, away from just the Sunday gathering. And so many of you might remember, if you were at Partners Party, we, we talked about a couple of, of, of vision um, directives that, that we're heading towards, and one of those was uh, something that we're calling neighborhood communities. And uh, you might remember, you'll see some pictures of, up here of us praying for specific regions and neighborhoods within our city. And, and um, as we have moved forward towards the, the uh, neighborhood communities um, for the sake of sharing life, we've realized that, that we're wanting to respond to a couple of challenges uh, one of the challenges in our city is just simply accessibility. I was reading this article this week, and it was talking about the way this city, the Portland Metro, network, or Portland Metro has grown over the past decade, and it's just been exponential growth in population. Um, uh, just a few cities that have grown like this in our country, and it's just been unbelievable. And then in the article, it talked about how our infrastructure has grown in the last 10 years, and it was like a line graph, and the population one went like this, and the infrastructure one went... <clears throat> So we have way more people than we had 10 years ago, um, but we don't necessarily have more roads or ways of moving people. So this translates into what? Traffic, congestion, and a lack of accessibility. Uh, we don't feel this so much on a Sunday morning. You can be anywhere in this metro and, and get here relatively easy. Uh, but if you tried that on a Friday night, a Monday night, Tuesday night, any, any work night of the week, um, if you commute, you'll know it's, it's going to be a nightmare. And so uh, we envisioned creating opportunities to share life with, with other like-minded people, with people from our church family and, and neighbors and, and friends. We envisioned this within a community or neighborhood context so that I am connecting with people who are in my neck of the woods. It doesn't require a bridge, a tunnel, or a freeway. They are, are people that, that are, are my neighbors and that I am connected and close with. So we wanted to address the access challenge. And then the second challenge was, was really just one about, of time. Um, I was sharing with someone that uh, the town I grew up in is a very small town, and it was a blue-collar town, and everyone kind of had the same job that ended at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and, and most families were single-income families, and so uh, the, the home I grew up in, we just had all this margin, all these free evenings and free time, and we could sign up to do all kinds of different stuff. 
Does that represent your life here in, in Portland? <laughs> no, it, it certainly doesn't represent my family. Um, most of us have one, two, maybe two and a half jobs. Uh, we're, we're, if we're students, our schedule is very demanded, whether that's high school or college. We're, we're, we're very busy people, and realizing we don't have tons of time and that it can be quite challenging to be a part of something that, that is weekly and that, that I might not be able to lean in as much, uh, we decided to adopt a rhythm for these neighborhood communities that we meet once a month. And the hope is that, we, that because we're meeting once a month and that we're going to be very intentional about that night, that, that people would actually orient their schedule around that time, that they would actually change what they do and, and, and that becomes something that they plan around rather than something they ask if they can fit in. And um, as we gather once a month in these neighborhood communities, we'll, we'll do two things, and they'll alternate between celebrating and serving, um, opportunities to sit around um, a park or a backyard and have a barbecue and just share life with one another, um, but then also to, to serve locally, to serve in our neighborhoods and the places that we live. So this has been happening um, kind of behind the scenes, some of the, the, the legwork and the strategies been going into this. And and we're looking at, right now, um, having nine neighborhood communities spread out across our city. And um, there's a few of them that have been up and running for a while, the, the North Portland neighborhood community and the East Side neighborhood community, which the East Side neighborhood community is anything east of 82nd uh, to Idaho. Just, if you live in that region, that's for you. And those communities are, are up and ready, and if you live in one of those areas, please come see me at the end of this gathering. I'm going to be at the, the welcome table in the lobby I'd love to get you connected. Um, we also have communities that are in development stage in uh, West Side, um, Tabor, Southeast, Vancouver. Didn't forget about the Vancouverans. Uh, Clackamas and a couple in Northeast. And what that process looks like is that we, we look in an area in the city where, where there is a concentration of, of people from Mosaic and, and leaders. And, and uh, if you were to walk by my office, you'd see this map of the city with, with all these names on it like I'm a stalker. And we're, we're identifying where, where are people, and then once, once we kind of identify an area, we, we step in and say, okay, who, who's leaning in? Who are the leaders? And, and, and let's form a, a, a leadership core within this neighborhood community. And so the leadership of the neighborhood community doesn't rest on the shoulders of one person or, or a family. It's actually shared from six to eight to ten people, and they all have different roles and ways that they're contributing so, so we find a region, an area, and then we, we get a core established and help them set the rhythm. And then we open up the doors wide and say, hey guys, if you're on the west side, if you're in Vancouver, this is a place where you can share life and connect. Um, so this fall, what this is going to look like on Sunday is as these cores are, are being formed and, and as we're ready to go with these neighborhood communities, we're going to be highlighting them on Sunday mornings, highlighting different regions and different areas. So um, my hope is this fall, you hear your neighborhood at some point announced and you get to come in and, and meet people to share life with um, who live near you. And I'll say... Um, we, we've experienced this in, in the North Portland neighborhood community. It's been meaningful to us, um, us being my wife and, and my family. Uh, we, we moved just about a, a year ago, and there are a few of us who just love moving. I think the vast majority of us, including the other four people in my family, it's, it's tough. You know, new relationships and, and new rhythms and all this. And um, for us, we, we moved, and then several months later started uh, the North Portland neighborhood community it was just mind-blowing to me how quickly we were able to develop and cultivate meaningful relationships, um, to get to see people in, in different stages of life, all the way from babies to grandparents, and uh, get to see people engaging with my kids and, and loving them, and it, it's just been so meaningful. And, and I don't want that just to be something that, that I get to experience or we experience in North Portland. I want this to be something that we get to do as a church. 
Um, so, so be praying, be leaning in, and uh, this fall be listening and expecting that, that we're going to have a community near you. The long-term vision is that we have a neighborhood community within 10 minutes of everyone in our city. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're reaching for. Um, yeah, so that's, that's happening this fall. Be listening, be praying, be ready. And I'm going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to dive into Scripture. Um, Father, I uh, just simply pray you open our ears, um, open our hearts to receive your word, and uh, that you would shape us based on, on this invitation that you've given us, this, this Bible. And um, today I, I, I thank you and uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us. And we thank you in your name. Amen. So um, I'm eight years old. And it's, it's summertime in, in my small town, which means I've been kicked out of the house from sunrise to sunset. That's parenting in the 80s. And um, I'm outside, and I'm hanging out in the yard. It's, it's midsummer, and I'm doing one of my favorite activities, which is eating blackberries. We had this blackberry briar that had overgrown a six-foot chain-link fence almost the entire length of our yard. And it was just this wall of blackberries, and I'm just out there eating them and eating them. And you couldn't see what's on the other side. It's such a thick blackberry briar that you couldn't even see through it. And... And out of nowhere, I, I hear a voice, and I recognize his voice. It's the voice of, of my neighbor. He's a, a boy my age, around eight, and he is, uh, his name is Rush, and yes, he is named after the band. Um, we're, we're still stuck in the 80s there. Yeah, a few Rush fans. He, I hear his voice, and, um, which was kind of surprising because he didn't say, hey, Adam, how's your summer? Let's, let's play G.I. Joe's. He, he just says, hey, my dad's better than your dad. And I knew, you know, intuitively, um, man, he's, he's reaching out. He's obviously having some, some issues with his father. And, and, and man, he's just projecting this on me. And I, I just need to be kind. And, and I didn't do any of that. It's like, no, my, my dad's better than your dad. And, and it started the debate. It's like, my dad, he can run faster than your dad. He can jump higher than your dad. And he can throw a football. And I, I respond, well, my dad's smarter than your dad. He's taller than your dad. And he can whistle. I don't know why that was a thing, but that was a credit to my dad. And, and this went on for quite a while. It just got ridiculous. We're just making these outlandish claims about our dad. And, and the ironic part of, our, of it was neither one of our dads were like an athlete or any kind of <laughs> anything like that. And if they would have raced, it would have been um, a catastrophe. But it, it kind of reveals something about our nature that, that we defend what we know, kind of where we're from. Uh, what we've experienced, what we've seen, it, 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 it's kind of defended as the better thing because it, it represents us. Like ultimately, my dad represents me because I'm, I'm from my dad. And so I, I want to defend this. I want to defend what's known and, and, and what I have and what defines me as the better thing. But, but in reality, there, there are better things. We've been in this, this teaching called Better Things, and, and we've been in this book uh, called Hebrews in the New Testament. And people have called this the book of better things, and, and, and the reason for that is the author is, is using this book that was originally written as a letter to the church to convince people that, that whatever their life is about, whatever they're seeking, whatever they're looking towards for hope and for identity, if it's not Jesus, then Jesus is the better thing, no matter what it is. And, and for these people specifically, it was... Uh, being a, a Hebrew audience, much of this is, is rooted in their, their heritage and where they've come from, what they've seen and what they've experienced. 
These are people who, who are Hebrews. They're, they're Jewish in, from their custom, and yet they've chosen to follow Jesus. And they're sitting of this, in this tension of saying, well, we have these good things, and we have these other sources of identity and hope. And, and this, this author is saying, but yet Jesus is the better thing. And so as we go through this teaching, we will look week after week of, of why we are invited to look at Jesus and, and, and why he is the better thing. Last week, we talked about um, Jesus is better than angels. And uh, Tim pointed out that that's probably not revolutionary for, for many of us. Uh, but it's, it's what those angels represent as, as, the spoke, uh, as the spokesman for God and helping shape the law of the Old Testament, which is what has given these Hebrew people so much of their identity. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to be reading in Hebrews 3, which is Jesus is greater than Moses. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, there's, there's some on the shelves on the side, and uh, it'll be on the screen. Uh, but Hebrews 3, 1, starts with this word, therefore. And whenever we see this in Scripture, we, we have to understand that whatever we're about to read is connected to whatever was just said. And what was just said is, is Hebrews 2, and it's, it, it's, it's the story of, of Jesus being the Son of God, being above angels and, and greater than angels, and yet t- taking on flesh and becoming a human below angels for the purpose of bringing salvation and freedom to us. That's who Jesus is. That's why he is better. So it says in three, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what, to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence into the hope in which we glory. This author says to this, this Hebrew audience that Jesus is worthy of greater honor than Moses. Now to fully understand what this means, we, we have to know the significance of Moses. And to understand his significance, we, we have to talk about the history of Israel for a moment. Now I need to cover about five and a half hundred years of history, um, and I'm going to try to do it in three minutes. I realize it's Sunday at 11.45, and this might be a bit much for us, but I think we got this. Um, the story of Israel begins with, with a promise, a covenant between God and a man named Abraham. He calls Abraham, and in Genesis 12, he says, I'm, I'm making this covenant with you, and through you, I'm going to create a nation. And through you, all people of the world will be blessed. Abraham, we know, if we know the story, he's an older man, and his wife, Sarah, they're they're kind of through a miracle given a baby um, in, in their old age, and, and his name is Isaac. And Isaac now is, is the one who is going to carry this covenant and this promise forward. And Isaac marries someone, um, a, this a woman named Rebecca, and they have two daughters, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older one. Jacob is the younger one. Esau is in line to carry this covenant along, and, and through some foolishness on his part and deception on his brother Jacob's part, the birthright and the promise is now passing over Esau to Jacob. And Jacob is now the champion of this covenant and going forward. And Jacob marries, well, he marries two women, um, Leah and Rachel, and then has uh, babies, um, sons with them and with their servants, and <laughs> has a total of 12 sons. 
And uh, one night we're told that, that he is wrestling with, with an angel and won't let go until this angel blesses him. And, and as this angel blesses him, part of the blessing, his name is changed from Jacob, which means deceiver, and rightly so, to Israel. And so Israel has these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and a nation is born. Now, the second to youngest son, who's born of Rachel, his name is Joseph, and he's, he's unique. He is loved in a special way by his father, and this makes his brothers really jealous. And so one day, when they're, they're out tending to their flock, um, his brothers conspire to, to betray him and sell him into slavery. Um, they're in Canaan, and they sell him into to slavery, and he finds himself in Egypt. And his story in Egypt has ups and downs that are wild. He goes um, from being affluent to going to prison to, to being raised again because God uses him to interpret dreams and eventually finds himself second command under only Pharaoh. And the Bible tells us that a, a severe drought came through the land all through, through Middle East and, and Northern Africa. And, and it was so severe that people from everywhere were having to come to Egypt for food and for resources. This people included uh, Joseph's 11 brothers and their families, at which point this is a large group of people. They come to Egypt to the brother that they had betrayed, not knowing that their brother was, was leading in Egypt. And um, he forgives them after a little trickery. He forgives them and tells them to move their families to Egypt because they have provision and they can care for them. And so all of Israel's 12 sons, these 12 tribes are now relocated in Egypt. And at first, it's an amazing resource for them, a great opportunity. Fast forward 400 years later, when these men are gone, the Pharaoh's gone, and they have forgotten the covenant, these, they are now enslaved by Egypt. They are now treated horribly, without dignity, and enslaved to build and to work for the Egyptians. And these people, this, this nation of Israel, begins to cry out to their God for freedom and for help. And God raises up a leader named Moses, a reluctant leader who he speaks to through a burning bush and he calls them to go set these people free. And we know this story. It's an amazing story. You might be thinking right now of scenes from uh, the Prince of Egypt or maybe you are seeing Charleston Heston. But, but in fact, this, this really happened. God used him in, in a series of, of, of these plagues that, that were amazing and terrifying. And eventually Egypt, the Pharaoh says, take your people and go. And then they go and they, they cross the Red Sea on their way to this promised land, this better thing that Moses is going to lead them to. And so when we, when we talk about Moses and we say that, that Jesus is deserving of more honor than, than Moses, we have to realize to this Hebrew audience, that's so significant. Moses and what he represented for them. And, and really when we look at the life of Moses and we look at the life of Jesus, there's a lot of parallels. Moses finds himself in the desert and, and is called by God to leave the desert and go to his people and, and, and bring freedom to these people. Uh, Jesus um, has his time, his 40 days of fasting in the desert before he begins his ministry. And then when he begins, the, the, the first thing he does is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he's talking about the freedom of his, his father's kingdom. Um, the, the author in Hebrew says that Jesus is, is their great apostle and priest. Um, apostle means the sent one and, and priest means one who takes care of God's people. And, and that's what Moses was as well. He was sent by God to bring freedom and, and, and he pastored them as they were in the wilderness. And yet Hebrews tells us Moses was a good servant, but Jesus is the son of God. Moses was good. Jesus is better. So for us, I don't know that many, if probably none of us, would have an inclination 
to look at Moses and say, ah, I, think, I think he might be greater. I, I think he's the one. That part might not relate to us, but I think what might relate to us is what Moses represented for these people in Hebrews. What he represented for them and how they were attached to him and to this story. See, Moses represented their identity, where they're from and what they've known. That, that they're defined as a people group and they're defined as, as this nation be, because of, of Moses and people like Moses and, and he is our great leader and he is our deliverer. And, and so we look to him and we, we're looking towards this, this good thing. In fact, we, we see this played out um, in a, an interaction um, that a man has with some Hebrew religious leaders. And this is found in the book of John. Um, the book of John is one of four books called the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. And they're all telling the story of Jesus when he was here on earth. And these are people that saw him and walked with him. And, and all four of them are similar. Um, but John is the most unique. It doesn't record as many miracles. It only records seven. But of the seven, it, it gives a lot more of the story, the, the, the backstory and what, what happens afterwards. And, and in John 9, it's the story of a, of a man who was born blind, which in this time was significant because if you were born with an ailment, the belief was it was your parents' fault. They obviously were not good. They had some kind of sin. And so you were born blind. And uh, Jesus had healed this man and, and it had caused quite an uproar with the religious leaders to the point that they bring him in to testify and to question him and his parents. And um, so it starts in, in 928. This is uh, them questioning him. This is the Pharisees, uh, Hebrew religious leaders. And it says, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow, fellow's disciples, speaking about Jesus. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So we see this really clear distinction. Hey, you're a disciple of this, this person named Jesus. We follow Moses because we know at least at some point God spoke to Moses. And at some point, some good thing happened that, that brought freedom to our people. And, and so we are Moses' disciples. But they are speaking to a man who until a few days ago had never seen before. And now he can see. This amazing thing that they seem to be overlooking for the sake of preserving some kind of heritage and some kind of a familiarity with what they know. And I love his answer. It's, it's a little sassy, but it's really good. Then the man answered, now this is quite remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God, God does not listen to sinners. He listens to, to godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's almost outraged. Don't you guys see the better thing? Don't you guys see what, what Jesus has done? No one has ever seen this happen, and this is what Jesus has done for me. But yet, for the sake of identity, they were saying, we, we are disciples of, of Moses. Moses represented their identity, he also represented hope and freedom, a way that God had, has moved in the past in a way that, that we want him to move again. But the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people in this setting, they've, they've been Hellenized by the Greeks, so their, their culture's pretty diluted. Um, they're occupied by the Romans. Um, that's, that's their governing, ruling body. And their expectation was they were going to have another Moses experience. This someone's going to come in and by the power of God, 
um, kick out the Romans and bring back their culture and reestablish the way it was. And, and this is what they were wanting. This is what they had an appetite for. And, and, and for that reason, they were focused on something that might have been good, but, but it wasn't the better thing. It wasn't the great thing. And so as we think about these, these two things, identity and, and, and hope for freedom and, and things that, that we look to for those, what do I look to that informs my identity? That says, this, this is who I am. This is the cause that I'm about. This is the, 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 the political um, agenda that, that, that defines me. This is, this is the family that defines me. This is the culture that defines me. And, and, and there's all these things that can define us. And what the, the author of Hebrews is saying, but, but there's a better thing. There's a family to be a part of. There's a kingdom to be part of through Jesus. He is the better thing. And what is my hope? What am I anchoring my hope in? <clears throat> There's a lot of good things <clears throat> that I can anchor my hope in. Um, but Jesus is the best. Jesus is the, the better thing. And so this author in Hebrews, in three, he, he gives us some direction. He says, firstly, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes, fix our thoughts, the vision, the contemplation of our heart, the core of who we are, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the verbiage that's used here uh, in the original text is, is not a casual glance. Like, hey, take a look at Jesus. It's this intent, intentional focus and meditation on who Jesus is and seeing him. I have this, um, this dog that lives at my house. Some would call him a pet. His name is, is Coco. Um, he's a papillon. We have a tenuous relationship. I try to like him. But... Um, he has this thing where he, he loves cheese. And I don't know if this is a dog thing, but th- this dog loves cheese. And if he's anywhere in the house and you open a pack of string cheese, you know that, like, that ripping sound it makes when you, when you open it up? He freaks out. You can hear him upstairs, down the stairs, you know, skidding across the wood floor. And then he just comes and sits and looks at you. And this is where I start to torment him a little bit. So I'll tear off a piece and, and I'll move it all around. And everywhere I move it, he's just like, He's so locked in because he wants that so bad. I'll even try like the fake throw kind of thing. And it never gets him. Like he's so locked in because he loves this and, and he's just fixed on it. And it's, it's, it's kind of mean that I do that to him. But it's, it's a great picture of fixing our eyes on something. It's, it's not a casual, I'll glance and if it happens to be in my view. If, it happens, if I happen to cross the path with Jesus, well, then, then I'll see him. It's, it's a fixed, it's a fixed um, vision towards Jesus. Now, Jesus, God, he's not a moving target. He's much kinder to us than I am to Coco. He's, he's not hiding from us and moving to different places. In fact, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, our lives are not static. They are moving. I came to, to faith probably when I was about 10, 10 or 11. And uh, what it required of me to fix my eyes on Jesus when I was 10 is different now. There was a simplicity to that. There was an innocence to that. And, and as I've gone through life and I've experienced both victory and defeat, as I've learned new things, as, as I've had relationships and, and life has been chaotic at times and there's been celebration and sometimes there's been storms, it, it requires me to do different things to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And so we're drawn into these, these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual things like, like having a life that is rooted in scripture and opening this word and seeing these words and and, and a life that is filled with prayer and meditation and and coming together on a Sunday morning and singing these words about tasting and seeing that God is good. 
These are ways that I am finding and setting my eyes on who Jesus is. That I am pushing through the busyness, the cloudiness of, and of the world around us, and I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. The author directs us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This confidence is, is, is connected to the verse just before this when it says that we are built into the house of Jesus. And that's, that's amazing. We are woven into the tapestry of his family as sons and daughters built into his home. And he says, hold on to the confidence of that reality that, that we get to be sons and daughters of, Jesus, of God because of who Jesus is. That this is the better thing. And because of that, we, we can be confident people. We don't merely need to survive. And so he directs us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to hold firmly to this confidence and the hope in which we glory in. And then he continues with, with a warning. So Moses has, has led the people across the Red Sea. They're heading to the promised land. And God's providing for them. He's providing food for them, protection for them, water for them, a cloud that gives them shade in the day and fire that leads them at night. And, and they find themselves at the border of the promised land, at the border of, of the better thing. And they decide to scope it out. So they send 12 spies, one from each tribe. And they go and they spend 40 days assessing this land. And after they come back, it, they say that the land is flowing with milk and honey, which is a way of saying that it's fruitful and bountiful. And they, they brought back fruit and they said, this place is amazing. It's great. And it's so good that there's a bunch of people who live there. And man, they're, they're bigger than us. They're fortified. And when we saw them, we, we felt like grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, these are people who, who have just walked through a sea that was parted. And experience these amazing plagues. And, and yet, when it came to the border of, of this really good thing, this better thing, they chose unbelief. They chose not to believe in the character and the goodness or the power of God. And so it says that in Numbers 14, God responds to them in saying, by saying this. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me get against you it's a pretty heavy words he says for 40 years you're going to wander around this this desert until this generation of of people who choose not to believe who choose not to access the better thing have died off and then will come and enter this land the author of hebrews is referencing this when he continues in in chapter three and he says this so as the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are, are always going to uh, astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter into my rest. This warning that the author is given. He's saying Jesus is worth higher honor than Moses. To look to him and to not approach him with a doubting, unbelieving heart as your ancestors did. Let's learn from their lesson. Let's learn from their disbelief and put our confidence in Jesus. Set our eyes, our focus on who Jesus is. He says in verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
but be enc- but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confession, conviction firmly to the very end. As it's been said today, if you harden his voice, do not harden. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He calls them. He calls them to encourage one another. To be a community of people who are setting their eyes on who Jesus is. Who are faithfully responding to his invitation. Now as I read this this morning, um, I'm sure that we, uh, we approach this text from all different places. Um, there are probably some of us in this room who are just exploring who Jesus is and, and his claims and, and are, are deciding whether he is the better thing. Is, is he the thing that I need to pursue with my life? There's probably some of us here who <laughs> would say, yeah, I, I've been in the desert for a while and I... I, I, be, I believe in Jesus, but yet there's this, this unbelief that leads me into unrest. And, and I, I just want to know his rest. And, and the reality is that, that Jesus is inviting us to the better thing. He's not withholding. He's not hiding. He's inviting us to see him and to know him as the better thing. And so this morning, we're, we're going to continue in our worship. I invite our team to come forward. Um, and as we do most Sundays, the, the communion tables are, are set up here and in, in the back in the balcony. And, and as we approach this table, I, I just want to start a conversation between you and, and God's Holy Spirit. A conversation to, to ask, am I fully setting my eyes on Jesus? Or are there places in my heart that I'm looking towards for my identity and for my hope and for, and for my freedom that, that aren't the better thing? that aren't Jesus. And that as we come to this table and, and we have this conversation, we would come with a heart that is willing to repent and to look at Jesus, to see who he is and to know his freedom and to know his rest. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the better thing and that you brought the better thing from heaven to become flesh and to go to the cross for us. And so today we we set our attention, we set our thoughts, we set our eyes on you. And we look to you for our hope and for our freedom. And Jesus, we love you in this place. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's worship.